0: Well, our 40 days of prayer have come to an end, but I trust our commitment and devotion to praying as a believing people will be ongoing. After all, the Bible encourages us to to pray without ceasing. During these Sundays of the 40 days of prayer, we've been thinking through uh, the essentials of a Christian church. What are the unique characteristics, the distinguishing marks of a new Cong- new testament congregation of believers and we've looked at 7 so far and today our theme is evangelism i'd like to read our text to you it's john chapter 14 verse 12 it does not use the word evangelism nor does it speak of witnessing And there is a little bit of complexity to the verse itself. But I think you'll see by the time we're finished thinking about this verse that it is, in fact, on evangelism. And it's a very encouraging verse as well. Well, Let's read it. John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Our Lord Jesus spoke this statement, this verse, this promise just hours before he would be arrested, put on trial, and eventually crucified. He spoke these words while he was in an upper room somewhere in the city of Jerusalem With his disciples. Starting with chapter 14 and ending in chapter 16, there is a very long list of promises, of which our text is simply one of those promises. When you read those chapters, what we sometimes call the upper room discourse, you hear Jesus saying that he goes to his father's house to prepare a place for us a promise that will ultimately be fulfilled when we arrive in heaven someday and live before the face of our God. Another promise in the Upper Room Discourse is that he promises to send us the Holy Spirit, whom he calls the Spirit of Truth, and his purpose, his ministry among us, will be to guide us into all truth. There is also a promise that we will face difficulty and hatred Jesus says, if the world hated me, take courage, it will hate you also. But in the midst of that hatred, he promises us that he will give us his peace in the midst of trouble. There's also a promise in the 15th chapter of John's gospel where he says, if you abide in me or remain in me and I in you, you will bring forth much spiritual fruit to the glory of God the Father. Three times in the upper room, he says that if we pray in Jesus' name and in agreement with what Jesus' name represents, uh, he will answer us for the glory of God the Father and for the joy of the believer. There's even a verse in, in John 16 verse 8 where he says he will send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will do his convicting work. In fact, he says... The Holy Spirit will convict the unbelieving world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because the unbelieving world is guilty of it. Of righteousness because the unbelieving world has none of it. And of judgment because the unbelieving world deserves the divine justice of God. In other words, what he is essentially saying in that particular promise is that the Holy Spirit is involved in evangelism that he is the one who does the convicting work, and by the grace of God, he is also the one who does the converting work. The reason I list for you some of those promises, a litany of those promises, is because out of every promise in the upper room, John chapter 14 verse 12 is a staggering promise. You see, he he doesn't simply say, uh, you will do the works that I once did while living in this world, that would be fine. But instead, what he says, you'll do greater works than Jesus' works. And we just never would believe that, except for the fact that it's Jesus himself who gives us this promise. So what does it mean? And how does it teach us and encourage us in evangelism? Well, that's our task. And the first truth we must grasp is that Jesus gives this promise to all believers. Let's read the promise again and hopefully allow it to have its impact on us. John 14, verse 12, Verily, or very truly, I tell you, whoever, whoever believes in me will do the works I have done, and have been doing, and they will do even greater things or greater works than these, because I am going to... The Father. For believers, it's a promise for believers only. No believer is left out. No believer is skipped over. More importantly, no believer is given a pass. The freedom to not participate in the performance of these greater works. It's greater works than Jesus works. And this promise is not given to the super spiritual, to those who have a steel like unbendable faith. Nor is it only given just to those who are missionaries or elders or pastors or teachers and so on. It's not even a promise that is given to those uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to engage in greater works. It's for all believers, believers like you and me. But there is a catch. It's an incredible promise, but it is irrelevant if you are not savingly trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has no value if you have not come to Jesus Christ and put your faith in Him so that He forgives you and rules you. Isn't it astonishing? Whatever text you take, whatever passage, there's always a pathway to the cross. There's always a way to get to the gospel. And here He says in this verse, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in Me That's the limitation to the promise. It begs the question, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? As we come to this table today to remember His cross, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as the verse says in Acts and are saved? One of the most familiar verses in all of Scripture is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's an astonishing verse. It says, there is a great danger all humans face, the danger of eternal perishing, of spiritual and eternal ruin, of enduring the conscious justice of a holy God. Great danger. But there is the greatest of all possible gifts given out of the loving heart of God the Father, whereby He sends His Son Jesus into the world and He gives Him ultimately and finally on the cross where Jesus becomes our legal and moral guilt, where He absorbs in Himself the wrath of a holy God. It's spent on Him. It's exhausted on Him. It's finished on Him so that we get the greatest of all certainties. Those who believe on Him Receive eternal life. You see, that's who the promise is for. Those who've believed. Those who've been rescued from perishing. And those who possess life with God. Both now and for all eternity. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to Him and asked Him for mercy? And He most certainly will give it to you instantaneously. It is a mercy that will completely eradicate Uh, your legal guilt before God. And he will give it to you, wiping your slate clean, a forgiveness that will last forever. And then he turns right around and he says to you and to me who believe, you will do greater works than even Jesus works. It's a promise for Christians only. And that brings us to a second reality. Jesus promises that believers are able to do greater works. Now, to understand that, we have to consider what Jesus does not mean and what Jesus does mean. I'll go ahead and answer it for you. Jesus does not mean miracles. Jesus does mean evangelism. So let's think about what Jesus does not mean. He does not mean miracles. Let's read the verse again. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Don't misunderstand me. I believe with every fiber of my being that God still does sometimes healing miracles in our day. In fact, The New Testament, in at least two places, urges on us the necessity of praying for the sick, even asking God to heal. And in the wisdom of God, He sometimes does grant supernatural healing. But in no place in the New Testament are we promised that all believers will do greater miracles than the miracles of Jesus. And just think for a moment about what Jesus actually did. He cast out demons. He turned water into wine. He walked on water. He fed 5,000 people with a little boy's sack lunch. And on several occasions, Jesus actually raised people from the dead. When you put those kinds of miracles in view, uh, church history does not indicate that any believer must last all believers are able to do these types of miracles. In fact, uh, John Piper puts it this way. If you think Jesus means more miraculous, you will be hard put to walk on water, feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and raising the dead. I don't know of any Christian who has ever lived inside or outside the New Testament who has ever done all these miracles, let alone something more miraculous, let alone everything Christians have done. These miracles are something more miraculous. It's kind of interesting. If you decide to sum up the life of Jesus in terms of his miracles, you would have to say that his whole life was a blaze of miracles. And the reason is because of a crucial verse in John 21, verse 5. It's the very last verse of John's gospel. Hence, it's the last verse of all four gospels. It reads, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Now, that is an incredible statement. It's saying that Jesus' life was a blaze of miracles, one miracle falling on the heels of another. And if you could compile them all, and he may be speaking hyperbolically, if you compile them all, all the books in the world are not sufficient space to testify to the miracle-working power of Jesus. But if you go to the book of Acts and you read it carefully, It is true that the apostles performed a lot of miracles in Acts. It is equally true that none of those miracles or all of them added up, come anywhere close to being a blaze of miracles. Instead, what you see in the book of Acts is a blaze of conversions through the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the apostles and working in the li- through the lives of the early Christians. So he, he doesn't mean uh, miracles. Well, what does Jesus mean? Well, the answer has to be evangelism. I take Jesus to mean the greater work that he was doing is to seek and to save the lost, to, to strive to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, to witness to people, to commit acts of evangelism. There's an interesting story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter uh, 10. Jesus gathers together a large group of those who were committed to following him. He tells us it was 72 in number. And he sends them on a missionary adventure. And he tells these, uh, these disciples who are following him, all 72 of them, he gives the power to do miracles. And he tells them to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God and they go out and they serve the Lord and they are met with great success they are so thrilled and so filled with joy when they rush back to Jesus they say to Jesus hey Jesus even the demons submit to us by your name and you would think that Jesus would rejoice also instead he immediately issues an instruction it's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's critical that we understand this. Yes, you're able to perform miracles. Yes, the demons submit to you. But even that's not reason enough to rejoice. What you should rejoice is that when a human is saved, when a person comes to faith in Jesus, their names are written in heaven. That you should rejoice in. And the reason, of course, is because when God saves a sinner, when God wipes the person's slate clean, when they are forgiven and forgiven forever, when they become sons and daughters of grace, they can rejoice that their names are written in heaven because that is the greatest of all possible miracles. So witnessing to people is the great work that we are called to do, to advance the gospel. And we're even told that we can do it to greater measure than even Jesus did. Tim Keller who writes with incredible accuracy on this verse puts it this way, our greater works is not about us doing flashier miracles or multiplying his message In his earthly ministry, Jesus could only be in one place at a time. Now, through his disciples, that is through us, millions of mouths can be speaking his words all over the world at the same time. Now, the question is, can we prove this from the Bible, that evangelism is in view? I think the answer is found in the book of Acts. Let's consider the historical record of the Acts of the Apostles. And what we read in Acts is not a blaze of miracles, as I've said, but a blaze of conversions, which is the fruit of evangelism. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, we are told that you, we were not to wait, we were, excuse me, we were to wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit before we engaged in evangelism. You remember the verse, don't you? It's Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, wait. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will supply all that you need to be courageous and compassionate witnesses. He will empower you to do the greater works than even Jesus works. And so when you read through the book of Acts, what do you see? You see the fruit of evangelism. Over and over and over again, the book of Acts testifies to the Lord saving and adding to the number of those who are saved. This is, this is so crucial. I want to read to you just a handful of evidences from the book of Acts. Chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Chapter 4, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Acts 5, verse 14 And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. See, the focus of Acts isn't on miracles. It's on the message of the gospel. And the church is growing and growing and growing. Chapter 9, verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Spirit, it multiplied. Chapter 11, verse 21 and 24, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord and a great many people were added to the Lord. Chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. I'll just do one more. So exciting, actually. Acts 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It's an amazing thing if you think about it. You look at the life of Jesus. He never left outside the boundaries of Palestine. Not one trip. Uh, But the early church, yes, they took the gospel to uh, Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria. And did they go to the ends of the earth? You bet they did. They took the gospel to all of Asia Minor. And then they crossed the sea in the book of Acts and took the gospel to Europe. And if that's not enough, by the time you get to the 17th chapter of Acts, just a little over halfway, the gospel has so prevailed, they have so faithfully preached the gospel, that we are literally told they turned the world upside down with the gospel. And through their evangelistic efforts, they were able to do and win greater numbers of people than even Jesus did in the limitations of his earthly ministry. So today we carry on Jesus' work, the work of spreading the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise that Jesus has given to us. But one last question. How can we be sure of it? How can we know that Jesus will keep such a staggering promise? It's a tall order. Greater works than Jesus' works? Yes, of course, and the reason is Jesus returned to his Father. And as a consequence, he secured the success of this promise. I just want to read the verse one more time. Here's the part of the text that brings us to the table. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will even do greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. Think about that. I'm going back to the Father. I will ascend back into heaven, but listen closely. It was not by direct route. Jesus did not step outside of the upper room and ascend back into heaven. No, no. The ascension is by way of the cross. When he steps out of the upper room. He is betrayed by Judas, arrested, falsely accused, treated with great humiliation and he went on the cross. And as I said earlier, there he took our place. He was our substitute. He gets penalty and we get pardon and paradise. And then he's buried. Everyone is thinking Jesus is defeated. And Three days later he is raised triumphant. Acts 1 tells us that he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs over 40 days. And then finally, after that, he goes up on a mount with some of his disciples and he ascends back into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And what does he do when there? He sends the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, The spirit of power. And Jesus empowers through His Holy Spirit, His believing church, people like you and me, to go and take the gospel. And ever since that day, the day of His ascension, greater and greater and greater works have been done for the glory of Jesus. You know, in World War II, there was... A church bombed in Berlin, and it was reduced to rubble. When they finally cleared all the rubble away, they discovered a statue of Christ, but the hands were missing. A sculptor said that he would fix it for free, but the leadership of the church decided to leave the statue as is. As a visual reminder to the church, that we are to be the hands of Christ. And the hands of Jesus were used to wash the dirty feet of the disciples. That we're to be servants of one another. And that, of course, is true. We are the hands of Christ. We're also the voice of Christ. We voice the gospel. We live and we speak the gospel. And as we do this together with all the believers all over the world, Thousands of voices, Keller is right, are speaking the gospel. And greater works than Jesus' works are being done for the glory of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want an application as I close, I would suggest three words. Pray, obey, depend. Pray. That God gives us opportunities to preach the gospel. That he sovereignly, that he providentially arranges moments that it's clear to us. Here's a chance for me to share the gospel. Pray against being afraid. Even Paul did that in Ephesians 6. Pray that I may proclaim it, he says, fearlessly as I ought. So pray for opportunity to witness and pray for courage and compassion when you do witness. Secondly, obey. Remember, no one is skipped over. No one gets a free pass not to participate. It's a promise to all believers. And it's also Him calling us to be a witnessing people. And finally, depend on the Holy Spirit to incline your heart to give you the want to, to empower you to live the gospel for the world's watching eyes and to speak that gospel when he gives you an opportunity. We as a church, these essentials, we want to be a biblical people, a praying people, a worshiping and witnessing people, a missional people. And we want to be a people engaged in evangelism. For the glory of Jesus Christ and for our own personal assurance and encouragement, we should embrace this promise. Greater works than Jesus' works? Indeed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so, so grateful for your faithfulness to us. We're so grateful that someone, and perhaps a chain of someone's, took the time to give us the gospel, to explain it to us, And your Holy Spirit convicted us and brought us to the moment of faith and conversion. We are so grateful for what Scripture calls so great a salvation. And because your eternal and holy Son is in heaven, at the right hand of God the Father, in session, in absolute authority, sending the Holy Spirit, Lord, make us a witnessing church. Make us a people who don't shun or skip over evangelism, but make us eager, make us fearless, courageous, and compassionate, and help us to lead many to Jesus Christ, who is our great Savior. Amen.